Good morning, Christ Church. Good to be with you this morning. Happy Palm Sunday. Good morning to all of you following along online and joining us in worship in the upper room. God's blessings to you this morning as well. I'm Pastor Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church. And as Anna mentioned, we are in this sermon series uh, that is leading up to Easter Sunday. So I want to make that invitation to you as well to join us, not only this Sunday, but in these weeks. In this week to come, we have a number of services on Monday, Thursday at 7 p.m. That's this Thursday. We're going to be talking about the sacraments. We're going to be talking about why is a Christian people, uh, the the act and, and the practice, the ritual of baptism is so very important to us, as well as communion. What do they mean? Why do we practice them? What's behind them? Why, as Christ Church, do we embrace these practices as part of our Christian church DNA? We're going to be talking about that on Thursday night at 7 o'clock here in the lower room. And then on Good Friday, we have two services where I invite you to come back for a dramatic experience where you, you hear and see the, the, the passion narrative is sometimes what it's called, Christ's crucifixion unfold. Uh, that story we join ourselves to again on Good Friday at 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock and then Easter Sunday is Easter Sunday. So come, be a part of Easter Sunday. 8 o'clock services here in the lower room, and then at 9.15 and 10.45, both in the upper room as well as here in the lower room, we have worship services. Come, be a part of it, and bring somebody. Bring a friend, bring a family member, and come and join us for worship on Easter Sunday. We're going to be finishing our Christian DNA series on Easter Sunday. But This morning, we continue on uh, looking at and trying to understand the Christian DNA, those basic fundamental uh, principles and beliefs that really shape us and form us, the fundamental basics of what it means to be a Christian and how we as a church body understand our DNA. Hey, we've had a thematic thread weaving its way throughout the entirety of this series. It's a powerful and it's a meaningful phrase that we keep saying. And so, if you know it, shout it out. Christianity begins with? Excellent. That's absolutely right. Christianity begins with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a guest with us and you felt left out for a moment, that's okay. We'll do it again. And so I'll invite everybody to shout out. Here we go again. Upper room. Give it nice and loud. And here we go. Christianity begins with? Absolutely right. Christianity, our faith, our understanding of the faith begins with understanding and coming to connecting with the person of Jesus Christ. We've been taking the time as a church body to actually look at what does Jesus say about this faith that he's given us. What does he say about God? What does Jesus have to say about the Holy Spirit, the Bible, the church? We've been trying to go to Jesus and look to his understanding and his teachings and what he would have us understand and know about the faith of Christianity which is grounded in his own person. So, Christianity begins with Christ, and therefore, this morning, we begin like we always have. Christianity begins with Christ. So does understanding the world. Our understanding of the world, the way in which we relate to it, the way in which we operate inside of it, the way in which we even perceive the world. And I mean more than just simply like the earth here. I'm talking about the reality of the world that you and I live and have our being in. The relationships, the events, the experiences, the sum totality when we say the world, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how do we understand our lives in this reality, in this world. So, the first question is an obvious one. What kind of world do we actually have? 
What kind of lives do we live? What kind of world do we have? How would we describe it so that we can best understand how to respond to it? Well, there are great things about the world. I mean, there's some really good things about life and about living life in this world. There are flowers and there are rainbows. There are, you know, great moments in life, great accomplishments. And there's your wedding day and the memories of that day or, or the moment your child was brought into the world and they were birthed and they arrived. Wow, what an incredible, fantastic, and amazing moment in your world, in your life. Yeah? The world is filled with wondrous and fantastic moments that we experience. And flowers decay and die. Rainbows bring floods and rains. Great accomplishments often come at great cost. Mountaintop wondrous moments often have valleys, steep declines on the other side. Marriages end in divorce. And sometimes, parents even have to bury their own children. What do we do with the world? How do we describe and relate to a world that has cancer, bombs, anxiety, mental illness, pornography, Racism, financial crisis, jealousy, homelessness, civil strife, hunger, peer pressure, deception, war, bitterness, funeral caskets, confusion, hate, Hitler, loss. For as much as we describe and can point to wonders and great moments in life, make no mistake. There is pain and hurt in this world. You already know that because you've lived it. You are a part of this world, and therefore, you have experienced, you have contributed to, and you have been a witness to the hurt and difficulty the trials and sorrows that this world does hold. Jesus himself is not afraid to name the reality of our world. In John 16, he says it outright. Here on this earth, in this life, as part of this world, you will experience trials and sorrows. That is the reality of our world. In a word, the word that we tend to use around Christ Church, the word that we tend to use in a word is brokenness. That this world, this life seems to be broken. We get an image and an idea of what is possible. When we look at our lives and the lives of those around us, we see the capacity within humanity. We see what is possible as we hold our children. And we think about their future. 
and we aspire and we dream, and yet we also acknowledge that there seems to be a gap between what we would hope for and what the reality of existence in the world actually is. That life in what it is, dare I say, intended for, oriented towards, seems to be broken. On an individual level, we contribute to this. We are victims of this. We are perpetrators of this. We are bystanders of this. As a collective, we sometimes encourage and participate in systems of oppression. Sometimes we are ignorant or we deny that they even exist. And often we suffer at the hands even of a collective system. Simply put, this world of trials and sorrows is broken. We, we are broken. So, now that we know what kind of world we have, what do we do with it? What do we do with the world that we have? More importantly, what does God do? with the world that we have. The answer to us comes from a verse that many of you know, have seen, and if you've ever watched a football game, you see in the end zone. It is John 3.16. How many of you have ever heard of that verse before? Excellent. Here's John 3.16 and verse 17. This is God's orientation and his heart in regards to this broken, messy world. For this is how God loved this broken, messy world. Loved the world. He gave his one and only Son that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into this messy, broken world. Not to judge it, not to condemn it, not to get rid of it, but to save the world, to redeem it, to claim it, to heal it, to reconcile it, to save the world through him. Jesus, Jesus embodies and actuates God's love for this world and you. He comes to you even with your messiness, your brokenness, and your imperfections, and he embraces you. Christ's embrace for you is full of grace for you and forgiveness out of love for you. Christ didn't keep away from the world. He didn't keep it at arm's length. He embraces it. He came to the world for the sake of the world. Sometimes Christians forget this. We, we, we sometimes curve inward. 
We, 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 we put up big doors and big uh, barriers to the world. We don't want to get stained by the world. We want to keep wickedness and evil at arm's length. We withdraw from the world. We create the holy huddle. You guys ever heard of that before, the holy huddle? We create a holy huddle where we turn inwards and we want to keep all the nasty out. So don't do anything associated with that. Don't listen to that nasty, secular, heathen music. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And we withdraw from the world. And taken to an extreme, these, sometimes these Christians in our stereotypes and in what the world tends to think about us is that we don't want to associate with the world and so we come across, across as judgmental. Hoity-toity, noise in the air. We don't want to get dirty. And so we come across as judgmental. And even to the point, taken to an extreme, we hear things from Christians like, let it burn, baby. Let the world burn. And we stop caring. And we stop loving. But is that Jesus' heart? Is that in our DNA? Our DNA, your DNA, is imprinted with the person of Jesus Christ who loves broken, messy, worldly people. Jesus came to this broken, messy world and he healed sick people. He forgave the prostitute. He, he, he brought the lonely and downtrodden into community into friendship and said, follow me, become one of my disciples. Don't be alone. Come join what I'm doing. Jesus even went to the the perfectionist and said, you don't have to be perfect, Mr. Pharisee. Let that go, man. I love you just the way that you are and aspire for something so much more for you. And he loves people. And he loves you. Jesus came to this world out of love for this world, compassion for this world, for the sake of you and the world. The world is not your enemy. Don't fight the world. Fight for the world. Christ, in fact, has given you that charge. In John, again, we see this from Jesus. He's praying about his disciples, and specifically, he prays for people who will come after him who won't even see him. Guess who that would be? That would be like, you know, you and me. And this is part of his prayer. He says, God, he's praying to the Father. He says, Father, God, I'm not asking you to actually take people out of the world. I don't, I don't want my people to retreat from the world into this holy huddle. I don't want you to keep them, uh, to take them out of the world. I do want you to keep them safe from, from the pressures and the evil and the nasty in this world. From, from Keep them safe from the evil one. Okay? So he names that. He's not afraid that, 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 that there's evil in this world. But they don't belong. You don't belong. You are not identified. Your identity is not in this world any more than Christ's identity is in this world. Your identity as a follower of Jesus is in Jesus. 
We know that as we become holy, as we become claimed by his truth and by his word. And so he implores God, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And then look at this sentence. Look at this line. This is so important. This is huge. This is the orientation of Christ church and our mission for being a church for those who are not here yet. It's about to come in this next line. Just as you sent me. Just as the Father, out of love for this world, imprinted that on his Son and said, Son, embrace this world, just as you sent me into the world, I am now sending them into the world. You. You. Jesus is sending you to love and heal and speak words of grace and forgiveness, to be companions, to be generosity, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. We, you and I, Christian brother and sister, Christ Church, We do not and will not fold in on ourselves, but instead the gospel will always move us outward to embrace people who are hurting and marginalized, who are broken and who need to know Jesus. We are sent, as Christ was sent, to the world for the sake of the world. Each of these weeks, I've been trying to share with you out of my own story places and moments where I feel the DNA of Christianity has imprinted upon me. I have a story for you this morning about a young woman that I met who best embodies this principle more than anybody else I've ever met. I met her about 12 years ago, 13 years ago in college. We met uh, uh, in college early on. Uh, This young woman is a Christian. She was a Christian when she entered into college. Um, She went into college with this understanding that God had claimed her, had redeemed her, had saved her, and forgiven her. Now, she she wasn't always, that wasn't at the forefront of her identity in her mind all the time. She, She would describe herself previously as someone who was wrapped up in the world, the values of the world, chasing things in this world that that ultimately fail. She got wrapped up in all that stuff, all that gunk, all that brokenness. And as she looks at her own life, she would tell you that, yeah, it was typified by brokenness. But Christ came to her. Came to her, and she lived her life as part of this world and spoke life transformation into her. And so she entered college with this renewed vigor and sense that Christ is what matters. Now, as she entered into college, she did two things, very smart and very wise. The first thing she did is she connected to other Christians. She connected herself in other Christian communities. She went to church on Sundays. She would go to a service in the middle of the week that they had on campus, and she got involved in a Bible study. Eventually, she would lead some Bible studies. She she was connected to, to her Christian family. But even as she was connected to her Christian family, she went out of her way based on this understanding that she, as a Christian, is intrinsically sent 
into the world, she also found ways and places to connect with non-Christians, specifically the athletic community. She was an athlete. She was an athlete in college. She was a swimmer and a water polo player. And anyone who has been around college athletics, you know that there's a whole lot of brokenness in there. I, I was a college athlete, and, and I can tell out of my own uh, experience, man, there's a lot of hurting people who, who are putting so much. I mean, college athletics, they layer on you the perfection and performance as part of your identity. You have to perform and you have to be perfect in your sport in addition to layering on top of you being an excellent student, in addition to the peer pressures of alcohol, addicts, and sex, and all the stuff that happens that just everybody deals with, that athletes have this unique layering on top of them. There are so many athletes out in this world who are just swimming in the muck and in the mire of this world. They don't have a clue because they're not anchored to anything, and so they're just floundering in this world. And so this young woman, as part of that athletic community, would intentionally go and spend time with them, love them. She'd go to parties. She didn't keep them at arm's length, but she would actually show up to parties. She would show up with her water bottle that actually had water. And she would sit on the couch. And she would wait because eventually she knew that somebody would sit on the couch next to her. And before long, people would pour out their stories. Anybody who's been around alcohol and too much alcohol knows that it has a propensity for causing problems and making problems apparent. And so people would spill guts. They'd share all sorts of hardships and darkness and difficulties she would love on them. She'd care for them. She'd be there for them. Eventually, as the nights would progress and as, as the parties went on, she, she, she wrote me into being the DD, the driver, right? She gave me her car keys and said, okay, I'll, I'll start bringing them out to you. And so she'd go into the parties. She'd hang out for a while. And then as, as things got worse and she saw that people were becoming to a point of where they just need safety and they need security and they need somebody to love them and be a companion to them, she would actually take them to the, she'd, she'd literally walk them to our car, to the car that was parked there. And I was in the driver's seat and she would, we'd get in, she'd get in and, and, and the inebriated person would be in the back and we would ferry them back to campus. And then she would take them to the room and put them to bed. I remember this one time, uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, was at that party, and the two girls came out. Uh, the young woman was supporting the inebriated one under, under the arm, and, and they got her to the car. She got in the car, um, and, and this young inebriated woman had a lot of pain in her life. We both knew that. She had a boyfriend who was in the army at the time. She worried immensely about his safety, his well-being. Uh, she had trouble at home with her parents. She was not on speaking terms with her parents. She was not a Christian. She was the epitome of someone that I would describe as being wrapped up in the priorities and value sets of the world and totally tanking as a result. And as she was in the back seat and, and the young woman was beside her holding her hand as the driver, you heard something uh, two minutes into the drive that you never want to hear come from the back seat when you know there's someone inebriated back there. Just blah, 
spew all over, right? You feel me? I mean, boom, projectile. Uh, now, I was protected because I was in the front seat, so I had the, the covering of the, the seat itself. The rest kind of flew beside me. Um, the poor young woman, though, who, who had really taken to ministering to and loving people, totally covered, head to toe, just caked. You know what I'm talking about? Any parent who's, who's held a baby and knows the thing, it's like caked on there. That was, that was the thing. We, we, we got the, the sick uh, friend of ours back to her, her dorm, and the young woman took her upstairs and undressed her, took her into the bathroom, showered her, bathed her, washed her, combed sickness out of her hair, brought her back to her room, tucked her in bed, and then slept on the floor next to her and got up every couple hours to feed her food and water to make sure that she would be all right. And it's because that young woman understands that we are sent to the world for the sake of the world to embody Christ's love to persons like that sick young woman. Eventually, the young woman that I'm, I started narrating about, she uh, decided that after two years of ministering and loving and caring for these athletes, that she was going to start a Bible study for athletes. So she went to her polo uh, team and said, I'm going to start a Bible study. Three girls showed up, then eight girls showed up, then 12, then 20. Eventually, the swim team head coach came to her and said, would you pray before and after our practices and before and after our games? By the end of her junior year, there were three different women's athletes' Bible studies running. One for the polo team, one for the swimming team, and one for the softball team. By the end of her senior year, the leaders of each of those groups who she had mentored and encouraged and helped lead beside, they got together and had a dream that God could do something big and amazing for athletes holistically. And by the end of her senior year, there was a new ministry specifically tied into the athletic community where over 100 athletes would gather on a regular basis to hear a speaker, a preacher, who would come in. They would bring pastors in to speak to the athletic community. And Bible studies started, started to multiply. And it's not because of her. It's because of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to the world and loved her as part of the world. And now she, she understands that she is sent into the world to love others the way she has been loved. that challenges me, that inspires me, that encourages me. I was so enamored with her that I married her. I'm talking about my wife. That's who that is. She's feeling really embarrassed right now. I asked her last night if I could tell a story about her. She didn't know it would be that big. <laughs> but it's because she inspires me to see and understand this basic principle that is part of our Christian DNA. That we do not retreat from the world, but that we love and care for the hurting, 
the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed, the lonely, the sick, the grieving, the broken. Because Christ cared for us. And so that is part of our Christian DNA. As Christ came to the world for the world, so too for us. You. You are sent to the world for the world. Amen, good? Please close with prayer. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you would embrace with grace this broken and tragic world. You would seek rather than destroy it to redeem it, to heal it. You would speak words of comfort and strength and forgiveness to us and to others. Further, now you empower and encourage those of us who have been claimed by this radical faith to now be your hands and feet, to be your presence, your ambassadors in this world, to be your voice, to be your generosity, to be your tangible presence to others. We ask that this truth would take root deep inside of us, that that Christian DNA would imprint upon us and embolden us to invite someone to church to speak a word of grace to tell others of your love to make a difference in tangible real ways we thank you for this calling we thank you that we get to do this together give us the strength now we ask and pray in Jesus name Amen.